And welcome to another edition of the Pucks with Hags podcast. As always, uh, ready to break down plenty of things that are going on in the Stanley Cup playoffs, even though the Bruins are not involved. There's always things going on with the Bruins and uh, the playoffs are full swing as we go right now. I'm bringing in a, a good buddy of mine, somebody I've known a long time, Mark Diver from the New England Hockey Journal. You can find him on Twitter at, at Mark Diver, M-A-R-K-D-I-V-V-E-R. Mark, thanks very much for joining us. What What are you up to uh, hockey-wise these days? You watching any uh, any club teams, any uh, junior teams? What, what do you got going on? Well, just kind of winding down uh, now for uh, the next month uh, or so until, I guess, development camp is coming up. Uh, looking forward to July 4th in the, at Warrior Arena, right? Uh, <laughs> No, fire, no fireworks or uh, cookouts. It'll be uh, pops <laughs> for the 4th of July. So Yeah, forget it. I did find that funny that they, <laughs> they scheduled something on the 4th of July, or at least it looks that way, that there's going to be something on the 4th of July for uh, development camp. Maybe that'll be the day they go to, like, you know, all the, the, the charity visits and some yeah. of the other stuff that they do, and it'll be on off ice. And th- I, I wasn't going to ask you about this, but this is actually something I found uh, interesting. Um, that the Blackhawks now are going to go off ice with their uh, complete development camp. And, uh, you know, I can understand the reasons that they're doing it, especially like that time of year, getting the kids off ice when they've been on for a long time. And especially if they haven't skated in a while and then throwing them on in the middle of July, uh, you know, it's, it's tough to get a proper read on them, but uh, selfishly as a reporter and somebody watching development camp, it's going to be like the death knell of covering those things. If we don't actually have on ice stuff to watch every day to see these guys, uh, that we don't watch all year. Just wondering what you think about that whole sort of thing that the Blackhawks are rolling out. Well, it'll be interesting to see if that catches on uh, because, uh, yeah, realistically, I don't think, I'm not sure how much the hockey part of it helps those kids. Um, right. You know, some they're, they're all at diff, maybe at different stages. Uh, some of them, their season ended two months ago. Some of them had ended a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and, you know, I, in years past, I can recall seeing kids there that were just out of shape. You could tell. Yep. Yep. And, uh, you know, the tendency might be to kind of write those guys off like, oh, that guy, he can't play. But then you realize, OK, he's like 15 pounds overweight. He, he's not going to be that's not how he's going to play uh, when camp starts or whatever. So um, I don't think it would be the disadvantage for uh, for us in the media is that junior kids kids just drafted kids from europe that you haven't seen and won't 100%. see in person it's yeah. a look at them and it gives you a little little window maybe into what they are and you know the off ice stuff in the room is is uh never hurts to get to know you know even just just have a two-minute conversation with a kid and just get a little feel for what uh who he is and uh, and what he's about so uh yeah. it'll be interesting yeah. to see if that catches on uh with the blackhawks I mean, I, I, I guess I would want to know though, right. If, uh, after a season is over, even with kids that are, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old, I'd want to know that about them. If they like, don't go to the gym, don't work out, uh, you know, staying off the ice or just like completely, you know, leaving hockey behind and kind of letting it go for a month or two. Well, the kids, uh, I'm not going to name the kid that was 15 pounds overweight, but he's played. (laughs) He's played, he's had like a seven or an eight year career in the NHL. He, it didn't hold him back one bit, right? You know? Whatever right. he's doing off the ice in that particular spring, uh, you know, I guess he was having fun, but he's had a good career. 
<laughs> and and that's why like going off of that stuff at development camp is still sometimes a fool's errand right when we see yeah. like a snap judgment for a couple of days and I, I guess that's where some of this might be coming from but I, I do hope that at least in some form or fashion they keep uh an on ice uh component to it so like the people the draft picks like you know historically the Bruins always do this and most teams do right after the NHL draft and they fly in their picks that they just made and it's usually like a week in July like it's going to be fourth of July week at Warrior Ice Arena and open to the public by the way for people who want to come down um this year coming up and you do get a little bit of a look at them and it, it allows the fans to get a look into them too and you know, I I don't want the moment, put it this way, I don't want the moment taken away from me that I had when I first saw David Pasternak uh, <laughs> right. that first development camp after they drafted him within 20 minutes of that first on-ice session. Like, the skills were jumping off the page. You know, you've been to a yeah. million of these, too. You, you, usually you see the same sort of players. Nobody really stands out that much. Maybe a couple of guys have great skating strides. I remember Johnny Beecher had that great skating stride that we noticed yep. right away. And maybe a guy's got a great shot. Maybe a guy's got a pretty good handle, like different things that they can do or a guy's physical if it's a defenseman, but like, you don't see a guy that creatively offensive instincts, all that stuff that leaps out like Pasternak did as an 18 year old kid, especially where he was a late first round pick. Um, and you know, the only other player I'd seen that was anywhere close to that in those development camps for that I'd covered was Tyler Sagan. And I thought he was even better than Sagan when yeah. he first got here, just given the way his skills flashed. So like, I hope that they still have some kind of on ice component. So we still have those moments where we could discover players or see somebody and, and really see the, you know, the beginnings of greatness, like what we've seen with Pasternak, um, you know, it, but, but it'll be interesting to see which way they go switching gears towards the playoffs, just, uh, Wondering, as you watch, we're recording this the day after the Florida Panthers uh, closed out the Carolina Hurricanes. Give the Hurricanes full credit. They battled in that last game. They almost put it to overtime. I thought they were going to win and they were going to extend the series. But once again, Matthew Kachuk steps up, makes a huge play, uh, scores with you know in the, in the final seconds uh, of the third period to stave off overtime to clinch the series. And then he goes and wraps his hand right around uh, the Prince of Wales trophy right afterwards, not... <laughs> not caring at all about superstition or anything else, which I love. That's his attitude. It's great. Um, but just curious, your thoughts on the playoffs in general. And if seeing the Florida Panthers go on the run where they've, you know, pretty much dominated the Maple Leafs and the Carolina Hurricanes after getting pushed to seven games by the Bruins and really being down and out almost in that series when they were down three to one uh, before they came back. If that's changed your ideas at all about what happened with the Bruins in the first round, the way things went down, and if they continue to go on this run and end up winning the cup, if that changes how we view things a little bit about this being this huge choke, like on some level, it's still a choke, right? Because they had a lead, they had a lead in game seven uh, in the final minute, you know, yeah, they, they had yeah. chances to close it out in game six. Like there was, you know, game five, Marchand had the breakaway at the end of regulation. Like, they had a bunch of chances and they didn't follow through. So on some level it still is, but I wonder if we, you know, we temper our feelings about what happened with the Bruins a little bit, given how great the Panthers have played. I look at the Panthers and it looks to me, you know, having watched, uh, you know, the game for a long time, this is a lightning in a bottle situation to me. Yeah. Where they just, uh, everything's going right for them. They're, they're doing everything right. If they get outplayed in a game, they still end up winning. Uh, you know, can they continue this into the finals, whether it's against, it looks like it's going to be against Vegas. You yeah. know, that'll be interesting to see, but uh, you know, it's been, 
and this is no uh, no revelation here, but it, it's reinforced the idea that the playoff that the regular season is a completely different animal from the playoffs. Everyone knows that, but boy, it's really been uh, driven home this time. Uh, you see how hard guys are playing. Uh, I didn't see the Bruins playing at that level in the playoffs uh, no. or, or at the end, not at the end of the season, of course, but the hits and the things guys are doing that literally they will do anything to win or to, to get an advantage. That's uh, like that hit last night on, uh, on Slavin. Uh, yeah. Sam Bennett, well, who's been a beast throughout these playoffs. He has kind of, kind of out of nowhere, you know, yeah. I mean, good player, but not this good. Uh, so, I mean, just the, the intensity, the, the, the team, uh, Florida has been the team and, and Vegas too. They'll just do anything to win uh, to this point. And, you know, my, my takeaway as far as the Bruins are, are, is concerned is I didn't see that level of intensity in, in their series. Uh, and I, you know, I got to think that the way, the way they cruise through the second half of the season obviously contributed to that. They just rolled over teams uh, yep. without, you know, without having a whole lot of trouble in that second half. And I think that they lost the sharpness in their game and, and it burned them. And, and also, you know, they have, the Bruins have excellent players. There's no question, right? Uh, they've got hall of famers. They've got all time greats with the Bruins. Uh, that was a wagon of a team in many ways, especially a regular season wagon team. There's no question about it, but you know, Sam Bennett's a guy that stepped up, no doubt. Uh, Bobrovsky um, is living up, probably maybe to the, for the first time in that contract, probably yeah. for the first time in that contract he signed in Florida to be a $10 million, uh, $10 million man, $10 million a year guy. He's living up to that money and he's kind of touched, tapped back into uh, what he was uh, for long periods of time with the Columbus Blue Jackets. And, you know, I'm sure, you know, he's a great goaltender, right? And he's, he's looking at this as this is really his chance at 34 years old. Uh, to put that sort of crowning achievement on his career with the two Veznas and the other stuff that he's done. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a marked mark difference from the guy that was sick at the end of the regular season, you know, gave up like 14 or 15 goals in his last three starts and lost his job to uh, Alex Lyon, whoever, a journeyman uh, to start the playoffs. You kind of knew though, what Bob was going to get in at some point and take that over. I was even surprised he didn't start that playoff series against the Panthers, even if he was dreadful uh, to the end of regular season. So, you know, they had the goalie that was talented enough to go on a run like he's been on and a heater that he's been on. But I look at Matthew Kachuk and like, that's a guy the Bruins do not have, you know, like a big, strong, mean winger that's skilled. Like, and those guys are obviously like, you know, unicorns, right? There's not many yeah. of them in the league, yeah. but you know, Florida was as much as it's lightning in a bottle, Florida won the president's trophy last year. We're talking yeah. about a team that's got a lot of talent and they made a big move in the off season to get Kachuk. And he has been the difference maker there as much as anybody else, more than anybody else. I think he would get my con Smythe to this point, you know, yeah. we'll see what happens in the Stanley cup final, but like, he's been such a factor in all those series uh, at big moments, uh, subtle plays, um, you know, intimidation, uh, setting tones physically and just attitude wise and what you're talking about doing anything to win. I think he's been that kind of guy. Like, I feel like 
when you play in a series like that, if you're the Bruins and you go up against a guy like that, it kind of reinforces that the Bruins don't have necessarily that kind of player, even though they've got competitors and they've got really good players um, that turns out to be a difference maker in that series. Well, yeah, you're right. And so why don't the Bruins have that kind of player? Well, to get that kind of player, you have to finish at the bottom or, or make a trade that puts you inside the top 10. Uh, yep. So they haven't, they've been, they've been uh, very successful over the last uh, recent years. They haven't had an opportunity to, to draft a guy like that. Uh so, you know, I think that's, it's easy to look at that and say, okay, th- we don't have that kind of guy because we've traded picks. We've done this, we've done that. We've, we've been good. Uh, you know, you look at a team like Buffalo, which is on the rise or New Jersey, which is on, appears to be on the rise. Yep. They've got all these terrific young players and uh, all kinds of prospects in the minors. And people look at the Bruins prospects and say, well, geez, Boston doesn't have anyone, anyone like these guys. Well, it's obvious why Boston's been on top of the league and those two teams have been on the bottom forever. So, you know, it's, it's hard to have it both ways uh, to, to win and, you know, draft, uh, draft elite players, uh, you know, at the same time, it's, uh, it's almost impossible. It is. Uh, And the only other thing I would say to that is, um, I think at times the Bruins have not prioritized that kind of player when they have had those picks too. Right. Like when, yes, you know, not, not necessarily Kachuk cause he was, he was high, but like, you know, the Tom Wilson Kachuk's type types, like at points, you know, they've been able to try to go for players that are sort of like that or in that mold. And they do sort of, it seems to me anyway, veer away uh, or, or don't put the sort of priority on that kind of player. But most of those, you know, what, seven out of 10 of those players don't pan out, eight out of 10, uh, right. you know, even if some of them turn into Lawson Krause, who's a pretty good player, but didn't turn into sort of the, you know, the mean intimidator that, uh, you know, people thought he was going to be, but still an effective player. Um, but like, I, mean, I guess that's part of it on my end too, when I'm watching the drafts and I'm watching the players that they're taking is it's felt like at times that wasn't at the top of the list of what they needed or what they thought they needed to go after. Now, I think that kind of changed um, in this po- in this season and with the guys that they traded for, you know, they definitely were trading for more hard nosed physical, you know, not even if they weren't the biggest guys in the world, you know, they were physical guys and they were hard to play yes. against. And, you know, Garnet Hathaway played well, Tyler Bertuzzi is a guy that I think was a great fit with yep. the Bruins. And I would expect that they're going to try to prioritize keeping him. Um, given how he played in the postseason, how good he was as a playoff player, given the chemistry he had with David Pasternak at, at times when they were playing together, given how good he was net front in the power play, like he brings a lot to the table that could that could help them. Um, but you're right, you know, it's it 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 is there is a formula there uh, for some team. You know, the Chicago Blackhawks turned a dynasty uh, into sucking for a long time, and then getting Jonathan Taves and Patrick Kane, right? To, yeah. Yeah. To, to, to build their team around. Um, and then there's the, the, on the other hand, there's the Vegas golden Knights who, you know, were set up to succeed uh, seemingly from their existence uh, with the expansion draft and have been competitive every single year. And now they're one win away um, from going to the Stanley cup finals as well. Bruce Cassidy returning there uh, since uh, you know, losing with the Bruins in game seven in 2019 
uh, and really steamrolling the Dallas Stars. That game three was an embarrassment. Uh, Jamie yep. Ben, uh, the cross check while the guy's down on the ice, the the fans throwing uh, spiked seltzers on the ice, and uh, <laughs> you know everything else that was going on in that game. It, it and, and you know I, people don't like that I said this, but like as a traditional hockey fan and somebody that grew up in an original six city, when you see Dallas Stars fan chucking stuff at players and on the ice during a playoff game like that, and you realize it's part of like four Sunbelt teams uh, being part of the, uh, you know, the final four here in, in the NHL that you're going to see some unconventional and non-traditional stuff from the fans and from the teams uh, just based on some of these guys have never been there before, very rarely get there. Uh, so you're going to see reactions like that. We do want to tell you quickly about FanDuel, exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Uh, I know Bruins are no longer in the hockey playoffs, but obviously there are NHL playoffs going on, as well as NBA playoffs. Right now, new customers, if you sign up at FanDuel, at FanDuel.com slash Boston, you get a no-sweat-first bet up to $1,000. That's $1,000 back in bonus bets if you get it wrong uh, and you lose, bang, you get a second chance. It's amazing. So sign up, fanduel.com slash Boston. Uh, it's uh, in addition to this promotion, there's a, a ridiculous promotions that you can get on a daily basis uh, that are offered on the site. It's super easy app to download. Uh, and best thing of all, when you do win, you get paid instantly. If you don't, as I said, fanduel.com slash Boston, no sweat first bet up to $1,000. I do have to tell you, you have to be 21 or older and present in Massachusetts to participate. A $10 initial deposit is required. Your first online bet must be a real money wager. Refunds are issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets, which expire in 14 days. Restrictions do apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Hope is here. Go to gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050 for 24-7 support. Just, just wondering um, your thoughts on also Bruce Cassidy, you know, being a one win away. You spent a lot of time. You've covered uh, – you're closer to the Providence Bruins, I think, than anybody else in the media. Um, you cover them all the time. You spent a long time with Bruce Cassidy. What was it, eight, nine years yeah, with him when he years. was in Providence, and yeah. you got to know him really well while he was down there. Uh, just wondering your thoughts, just uh, watching him one win away from getting to the conference finals and what you think maybe is going through his head uh, as he gets closer and closer to getting back to sort of where, where it uh, was unfinished business last time. Well, I'm glad to see him uh, doing well. Me too. Uh, he's Great a good guy. guy. Uh, you know, I've seen, you know, complaints uh, from fans, not not media people, but fans that you know, if only the Bruins had kept him around, maybe they'd be a win away from the from the finals. And my answer to that is uh, no. Right. Uh, I don't think Krejci would have come back. I, I I doubt that Berge would have come back. Yep. Jake DeBrusque wouldn't have rescinded his uh, trade request. Uh, you know, I don't think guys like Trent Frederick and Connor Clifton would have got the years they Carlo. had. Yep. So uh, it was time. In hindsight, it was time. Uh, so, um, but the way they built their team, uh, you know, you put a good coach in there, a guy who uh, just is on top of everything, uh, and, and this is what you get. Uh, and you know, one of the one of the big things he's gotten is uh, he's getting the most out of Jack Eichel. Absolutely. After, after all this time, uh, Jack Eichel is uh, living up to uh, to the hype that uh, 
that was uh, greeted him at Boston University all the, all those years back. Uh, so, um, you know, credit to Butch. Uh, and I, I, you know, I know, or, or I think I know that he's he's uh, there's a little bit of him, uh, you know, gloating to himself that uh, you know, you know, see, I'm I'm one win away, uh, and hey. He can do that. He deserves to, to do that. He can, uh, he's got every right. I, I think it is human nature. Uh, yep. <laughs> it would be to deny being human to not feel that way when you were let go by a team. And then and to, to the surprise, to his surprise, you know, like yep. Don Sweeney comes to your door at your house, <laughs> right, right, right. basically tells you you're gone. Uh, that's going to leave, that's going to leave a mark. And I think that's going to leave something where you are going to want to have success, uh, success at your next stop. And, you know, to the best revenge is, is a life well lived and a career yeah, yeah. well lived. And, and I think we're seeing that with him uh, in this team. And, and you're, you're absolutely right about Eichel. And I, there's a very real phenomenon, Mark, of players like just sinking down into the morass with the Buffalo Sabres when they're in Buffalo and just getting lost in the muck. And I know it's starting to change a little bit because there's some younger players there that I, th- that I think are bringing them out of it as a group. Right. But there was like a good 10 year stretch where it just looked like everybody that was there got lost in the swamp. And as soon as they got traded out, as soon as they left as a free agent, yeah. it looked like a player that was out of jail. It happened yeah. with uh, Taylor Hall. It happened with Jack Eichel. It's happened with a ton of guys, Ryan O'Reilly. Yes, hundred you know, percent. From Buffalo to uh, to the Stanley Cup. Yeah, he goes from uh, driving into a Tim Hortons to uh, <laughs> winning a Conn Smythe Trophy. It's an amazing turnaround for him. And like he was one of the, I thought he was the best player in that Leafs team. Yeah, uh, in the postseason and certainly in that second round series against the Florida Panthers, he's just a money player. Yeah, uh, and a really good two way center. Um, but you know, I, I think there is something. Tage Thompson and and uh, and those guys are, I think, starting to turn that around and change that perception and change the the culture there. Um, but I think I, Eichel got caught up in that as much as anybody else. And you know, it it it's a testament to him that he's doing the right things now, and to to Butchie for meeting with him over the summertime uh, in Massachusetts and sort of telling him what he needed out of him, and for him. Um, you know, to, uh, to do the right things. I, and it was interesting. There's a really good, uh, interview Q and a with Bruce Butchie on, uh, NHL.com from Dan Rosen. And, uh, one of the questions was asking him just how much he still sort of, how much 2019 still eats at him. Right. And this was his answer. Oh boy. I personally feel, and I can't account for everybody, but I think I took it as hard as anybody in that organization, if not harder. I know how it affected me because you're that close. Then you go back the next year and you're pushing because you know you need to be a little bit better to win. Does that affect how you coach? Does that take its toll on the guys in the room because they're the ones that were as close as you is as well? Do they go through the, some of the same things or do they just say, well, next year is a new year? I don't look at it that way. I look at it as we need to be a little bit better. Sometimes that can take its toll. Yes, it's still with me, but it's not really with me this year because it's a different group of guys. It's just different, but it's stuck with me in Boston and you need to find a way to park that. Most of the time you do, but when you're that close, it's not that easy. And I think that really sort of encapsulates like when you're at a place so long, especially if you get that close to winning a cup and you are different sort of competitively from others or you view it in a different way how you can start to have like sort of a break between some of the players, the coach, you know, especially if he's like obsessed with now winning that cup because he came so close 
and the players sort of view it as in a different sort of light, some of them anyway. Um, and I thought that like perfectly encapsulated, like maybe where the, the, the roads started to diverge for him after 2019. And it took a few years for it to finally break off, but that's where like, you know, the, the two paths started going off. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, how many NHL coaches would give a thoughtful, uh, articulate answer like that to a question, right? A lot of guys would blow it off into a couple of sentences, move on to the next, but you know. That's uh, that's one of the things we love about Butch is that he uh, he gives answers like that. He you know he's uh, he's a deep thinker in that sense uh, in terms of a- answering questions like that. No doubt, and I and you know I think Jim Montgomery as he got more comfortable loosened up a little bit as far as I, I don't think he's ever going to be uh, as uh, you know as full as, as answering questions as Bruce Cassidy is, you know, Cassidy's to the point where you almost, it was kind of like Tim army when he was at Providence after a little while, he'd give you so much. You'd be like, all right, I got what I need. Thank you. (laughs) You know, let's move on to the next one, which was awesome. Like it's a great problem to have, but I think uh, Bruce was kind of like that uh, to a degree. Uh, He would almost answer the question, your follow-up question before you could even ask it because he anticipated what was coming. Um, uh, Interested to get your perspective on Montgomery and sort of uh, the criticism that he got uh, in the first round after, you know, seemingly pushing all the right buttons and pulling all the right levers during the the regular season with the Bruins. And, you know, my opinion, I think he got caught up in things a little bit in that first round. And I think at times the moment got a little big for him. And I I certainly think he's going to he learned some lessons or some some teaching moments that he's going to take moving forward from that experience. but I, I think there was a lot of easy second guesses and things you look at and kind of scratch your head. Like, why, why did that happen? Um, that make you wonder how things are going to go in a second year with him, uh, with the team. Well, yeah. And I think uh, a question or something to, to, uh, to watch going forward is, you know, a trauma like this, and, and this is what it is, a trauma uh, yep. to, to blow that lead in the first round after the regular season they had. But how does this affect uh, Monty and the players going forward? Does this it, it, something like this can linger and probably will linger? And you know, how does it affect them going into next season and beyond? Uh, it is it's going to be interesting to watch. I don't think you just laugh this off for nope. sure and say, "Okay, that happened." But now we're on. We're you know, we're on to uh, whatever, uh, Buffalo or Toronto yep. or wherever their season opener is. Uh, this was a tough one. No, no question about it. That's, uh, that's uh, you know, not news. Uh, but I think Monty will be, hopefully, will be better for it, uh, that he'll grow. Uh, you know, you're right. He, he pushed every button in the regular season, worked out, and uh, – in the playoffs, uh, was it the third game where he made a bunch of lineup changes and, you know, it worked. It worked perfectly. They yeah. won the game. They were in the driver's seat. And after that, it, they didn't win another game. Uh, he made other changes uh, or didn't make changes in, in terms of the goalie. Uh, and it, it blew up in his face. So uh, yeah, game five was the one I look at as the sort of pivotal moment where, that was when Bergeron came back. 
that's when he started the game with lines that had never played together during the year, separated Marshan and Bergeron. Yeah. That was the perfect moment to put Swayman in, I think. Yeah. Um, when they had had, you know, a goalie rotation that was successful during the year, you know, you're up three to one, you can coach like you're up three to one, you can put Swayman yeah. in and say, Hey, if it doesn't work out, we still get two cracks at it, you know, but I feel like uh, at that point, he almost started coaching like they were losing the series and they were desperate rather than they were up three to one and they were kind of in the driver's seat and had control of the series. And I thought that was just sort of an interesting um, approach and mindset from him, uh, you know, at that point in the series. Yeah, I think uh, as that game was unraveling, uh, game six, I'm thinking of. Yep. Uh, I think you saw him explode on the bench at one point when uh, it was too late then. Yep. It was too late. He should have exploded uh, earlier or in the room or, you know. Yep. And he, and he didn't. And, you know, that's a second guess along with some of the lineup decisions that uh you just shake your head and wonder you know why uh why he didn't do it differently yeah i have i absolutely and i've said this a couple times on the podcast i hated what he had to say after game six thoroughly hated it when he started talking about what a great hockey game it was it sounded like a college hockey coach it really did you're you know, right like right. being super positive and like, oh, great hockey game. We're lucky to have this opportunity. Like, no, that's not that is not what you want to hear after they've blown a couple chances to to win. And now they're uh, you know, at a game going into a game seven against the Florida Panthers, who have all the momentum at that point. It was you're right. And at that point, like it was too late to blow up, and it was also too late to try to be like, you know, everything is awesome, like it's every sunshine and roses here. What a great hockey series we're in. It was just not the right tone. No. After that game was the time for him to, uh, you know, be pissed off, throw a couple of no comments. I'm not answering that question. Next question. Be yeah. pissed off. Be pissed off. Show some off. attitude. Yeah. Show some attitude. Exactly right. Absolutely. Well, that's good to hear. And that sounds actually like uh, my son, my nine-year-old son, Finn, in the driveway, who is constantly ripping pucks and has, there's black marks all over the net now from like him just abusing the net. Uh, that's in the driveway and you can constantly hear it, the noise out there, all the neighbors hear it uh, whenever he's around. So like, you know, that, he keeps busy with that. He keeps busy with all the other sports he's doing. And that's why uh, I'm glad that one of our sponsors for the show uh, is Factor Meals, uh, America's number one ready to eat meal kit. Uh, this is something where you can get keto, you can get uh, smart meals with around or less than 550 calories per serving. Uh, it takes just two minutes to make them. You heat them up and enjoy. It's not like these ones where you get the food delivery and they come and you get, get all the ingredients. You have to cook it. Uh, and it takes like 25, 30 minutes. So if you're like me and you you coach your son in a bunch of sports and you're running around everywhere, you get something you can throw in the oven for two minutes and then it's ready to go or the micro. It's perfect. Uh, Factor Meals. Head to factormeals.com slash hags50 and use code Hags 50 to get 50% off. That's a huge savings on your first box. That's code Hags 50 at factormeals.com slash Hags 50 to get 50% on your first box. So thank, thank you very much to them. Um, and, you know, getting back to your point before, I think this is interesting. Um, you know, obviously a different team, 2010, blew a 3 nothing lead against the Florida, uh, the Philadelphia Flyers in historic fashion. Yep. And uh, that team 
that was a trauma, no doubt about it. I still remember being in that locker room after that series was over and Mark Recchi just didn't move for about a half an hour, had towels over his head and was just completely like stunned and bewildered. And that's a hall of fame player. Like, you know, you don't see things like that very often when you're covering uh, the NHL. Um, And to, to a man, they were all like that. Um, But that was a group that was younger. um, All more guys around the same age group. Um, had gone and went through that and learned from it and grew from that trauma and became determined to not ever have that happen again and won the cup the next year. And that was a big driving force for them winning after that. You know, you have to wonder how guys like Charlie McAvoy, David Pasternak, you know, uh, the goalies, um, Alina Solmark, Jeremy Swayman, uh, you know, uh, Taylor Hall, Brad Marchand, like the players that are going to be there next year, you have to wonder, especially the guys that haven't won a cup before, who of which there may only be one guy left with Marchand, how they're going to react to that kind of trauma this time around, as opposed uh, to that group that went through the 2010 trauma before they won the cup. Yeah. Uh, and the, the lineup going into next year is, is going to be uh those guys you mentioned will be back mostly in theory. Yep. Uh, On Lindholm's another one I should mention. He's obviously going to be a core yep. guy who has a lot to answer for after that playoff series. <laughs> yeah. Well, but uh, guys who won't be back, Ber- I'm I'm going on the idea that Bergeron and Krejci will not be back. Me too. Uh, Me too. So um, you take those two guys out and the rest of them can, you know, be off the charts again. And, and are you, uh, where are you going without those two centers? Uh, and you know, it's only may here. Uh, we don't know what the plan is. We don't know who's going to replace those guys. So, uh, you know, we, that's sort of a wait and see, but, uh, yeah, I, I think this, I think this one leaves a mark for a while. Uh, and we'll, uh, if they can rebound like the 2010 team did, did then, uh, then that'll be something, but uh, I'm not holding my breath on that one. No, because I, I think it's a different makeup. You know, yeah, they're in a different place, yep. different levels for the the players. And like you said, I, 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 you know, if they won the cup, even if they got to the cup final, uh, I think Bergeron was no question out. Yeah, you know, it was right off into the sunset. You yeah. know, he, he had a good run. Um, but I I do, and I think Krejci, I just really doubted he was going to come back again. Um, after this year, regardless, you know, he was playing here. His family was living in South Carolina. His kids were there the whole year. His wife was there the whole year. They were going to school down there. Um, so he basically didn't have his family around him all year, except for a few different occasions. That's why they had to push back uh, the celebration of his thousandth game uh, because they weren't there when he, when he played in his thousandth game and they came up like during vac- school vacation week and they did it at that point. Um you know, and it was, I think it was a really hard year for him in, in a great year in some ways. Cause he was around the boys all the time and sort of like, you know, look, there are times when you're married and you have kids where it's fun <laughs> to like be on the road for a little bit, whatever. Right. And you're playing right. hockey every day. And I think that part of it was probably fun for him, but like, it's really difficult when you're married and you have kids to be away from them for long stretches like that. And I think it would be really hard for him to do that again. But I think, you know, the way it ended for both of them, like they're going to have to think long and hard about, is that how my career is going to end? You know, is that how my NHL career is going to be come to a close, especially for Bergeron? Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. if I'm him, 
how do I say, okay, I'm done when that's the lasting moment at the very, that's a snapshot at the very end of your career is a moment like that, you know, where you're on the ice in the third period and in overtime, when those goals get scored in game seven, you clearly you're compromised and you're playing at a percentage of your abilities because you've got a herniated disc in your back. Um, and you know, that, that this team, this historic regular season team sort of flames out in the first round. That's, that's a, that's a hard one for that. That might be enough motivation for a, a proud guy like him to come back for, for one more. Yeah, you're right. You're right. Uh, I'd be surprised, but stranger things have happened and you're right. He, you know, to go out on that note, just, uh, just doesn't seem right. No, doesn't seem right. It doesn't fit with the rest of the storybook, Mark. <laughs> no, it doesn't. No. That's a, that's a, that's a awful final chapter to that fairy tale, <laughs> that, that fairy tale sure. hockey story. Um, you know, one other thing, uh, in the Bruins news, uh, Don Sweeney named, uh, finalist uh, for GM of the year, along with Florida's Bill Zito and, uh, Dallas stars, GM Jim Nil. Um, I think he he's won the award before. Uh, I think this might be the season where he's the most deserving of the award. Um, just given the team he put together, um, given the salary cap gymnastics they were able to do to keep everything together and to really build that team, that move to make uh, to get Dmitry Orlov and Garnet Hathaway at the trade deadline before the trade deadline with the Washington Capitals kind of came out of nowhere a little bit and was a brilliant move and really addressed exactly what they needed. And then they got insurance on top of that with uh, Tyler Bertuzzi uh, when Holland and Felina were hurt. And obviously, you know, they're not picking in the first or second round for a while and uh, they've paid heavily to go all in uh, for that year. But, you know, it, it, I found it very interesting during the season ending uh, press conference when Cam Neely said that a number of players uh, apologized for not winning with the wagon of the team that they had provided for them. So, you know, I think that's just a testament to the job that Don Sweeney and his group, you know, Evan Gold and everybody else uh, that's in that management group did uh, to build the best team that they could. And, and you know, on paper, they should have uh, rolled and won everything this postseason. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. And, you know, uh, Don takes takes a lot of heat uh has taken heat over the years and uh at times deserved but uh you know especially I mean, early right like especially early, early in his tenure. But, you know the 2015 draft still keeps coming up for god's sake it was eight years ago you know yeah. <laughs> but, yeah. uh, i think it was that was a fair second guess like yeah. Oh, yeah. in 2019 especially right because if you yeah. would add an impact player in that first round with one of those two other picks maybe that pushes you over the top to yeah. win the cup there, especially with a loaded draft like there was in 2015. But I think, you know, the, the statute of limitations kind of run out on that right. one, right? Like it's eight yes. years ago. And, and you know, I, I think as he's gone along and as he's gained the experience, like he's turned into one of the best GMs in the NHL. And a lot of the criticism that was there early on doesn't apply anymore. No question. And the award is for this year. That right. It's not the body of work right. uh, starting when he came in. It's this year. And I don't think uh, you can't, you cannot second guess. Uh, I don't think you cannot second guess his work with this year's team. What, what do you think the best move was that, uh, that he made this year from be, sort of beginning to end? If you could like pick out one that you thought was a really like, that's just a brilliant move. Well, I think the one you mentioned Hathaway and Orloff uh, and then followed by Bertuzzi. I mean, that was going into the trade deadline. I, I don't think anyone could have, uh, 
come up with a scenario where they got those guys and said, you know, this is, this, these are the guys you got to get, you know, and it, it, it's kind of typical of trade deadlines. People talk about this guy and that guy, and what about yeah. this? And they were seen scouting this guy and, you know, it inevitably almost, it turns out to be guys you never thought of uh, that were never mentioned. And, you know, he hit it out of the park with, uh, with those deals right at the, at the end there. I mean, who saw that coming? No, it was, uh, well, you know, it was just surprising that the, the capitals kind of punted on the season and, uh, you know, uh, started trading away assets and decided they, you know, they just weren't in it because they were traditionally, you know, I, I don't think people seriously thought Orlov or Hathaway were getting dealt, uh, and until it kind of start, started happening. It was interesting. Um, you know, I, it, I think he's become one of the best GMs in the league, you know, I, I, given the way they work the salary cap and obviously, you know, like there's going to be a four and a half million dollar. And this is another reason why I don't think Krejci and Bergeron are coming back because there's going to be a four and a half million dollar bonus uh, overage penalty, yeah. you know, on this coming year's cap um, that they're going to have to pay. Um, and like I said, they, you know, they're not going to have like high draft picks and, and to, unless they trade for a couple for the next few years. But that was all based on like the total understanding that this was probably going to be Bergeron and Krejci's last run and that they were just going to put all the chips in to try to win it this year. And, and you got to give somebody credit uh, for just having that as the mindset and the goal at the end of it. Yeah, you do. You do. Uh, and there, there have been there have been times in the past where, you know, the fan base has complained that they didn't go all in at the trade deadline, that they didn't do enough. And that, you know, that uh, they didn't uh, take advantage of whatever assets they had to make their team better. Uh, and this year, this year, uh, you can't, you can't say that they, uh, they did, they went for it and it didn't work out, but I give them credit for going for it. Absolutely. Um, and, you know, when it comes to Garnet Hathaway, uh, I, he's probably going to be too high priced to come back uh, given his role and and what he does. Um, you know, he's a third, fourth line guy, physical player, throws hits, like does a lot of, it, it's kind of the prototypical Bruins player in, in the, the hard-nosed way that he plays in a lot of ways. I'm going to miss the guy that uh, I could talk about Becky's Diner in Portland, Maine with, because he, you know, <laughs> knew the slogan of the place, uh, ate there all the time, just like I do, like when I'm there in the summertime, like, you know, him talking about uh, going to the, uh, the AHL games at the Cumberland County Civic Center. Uh, there's Portland Pirates, I think, at that point yep, uh, yep. when he when he was growing up. Uh, I'm going to miss that. But that kind of makes me think of the the Providence Bruins, which is, you know, part of the reason we wanted to have you on here, too, uh, was to just uh, with the salary cap issues that the Bruins are going through um, right now, there's going to be some young players on that roster. There's going to be trades. And I think there's going to be guys coming up from Providence. They're going to have to play roles. Um, next season. So I just kind of wanted to get your take on um, a team in Providence that uh, went out in the first round, similar to the Bruins did now, obviously didn't have the record breaking regular season that they did, uh, but had some solid players and just your take uh, on some of the players, I guess, starting with a guy um, who may, who we may end up seeing in, in Boston, depending on how things shake out with the goaltending. Uh, I kind of believe that, you know, there's going to be, the Bruins are going to have to explore trading one of them. And I think it's going to probably be Linus Allmark, especially yeah. coming off a of Vesna trophy, yeah. uh, likely Vesna trophy. And, and, you know, if you can get a Vesna trophy winner for $5 million a year, that's good value. 
Yeah. Uh, so it would be a smart move to deal him. But Brandon Bussey uh, would likely be the backup if one of those guys gets traded. Just what you saw out of him in Providence this year. Well, I think Brandon Bussey's the reason they finished in first place. Uh, I would say he stole probably five, six games over the course of the year. They finished first by one point with a win on the last day of the regular season. If you take out those five, five to six games where he, he stole, uh, in my estimation, they're not a first place team. Uh, and he, uh, the way he approaches it and the way he battles and battles and battles just never quits on a shot, uh, or a puck is, uh, really something, something to see. Uh, and I think he was a surprise this year that he, that he was that good. Uh, he had a great college career, no doubt, but you never know if that translates, uh, to the pro game. Uh, now will they, they might be forced, as you say, they might be forced to, to put him in, you know, as the backup next year. Yeah. Is he, is he ready for that? I think he'd be better served by say half a season in Providence again, to work on some things. He's a guy that gives up a lot of rebounds. Uh, and we know that in the NHL, that's, uh, that's, that's not going to fly. No. Um, but could he play 20, 25 games in the NHL, uh, you know, maybe next year. Yeah. He might be able to do that. And it's not a bad option to have a, a young uh, up and coming prospect as opposed to, you know, picking a, uh, a guy off the scrap heap uh, that's, you know, been a journeyman type of uh, goalie as your backup. Uh, Bussy might be up for the job. Um, and, and, you know, he's a great kid. He's, he's good with the media. He, I think he understands that, uh, you know, talking about the game is, is an important part of it too. When uh, when you're in when you're the goalie, you know, talking about what went right, what went wrong. I, I think uh, he's similar to Swayman in that regard. Uh, yeah. You know, Sway from day one knew that okay, you know, I got to answer some questions, and uh, I can't just be, uh, you know, no next question, uh, no comment, stuff like that. And I think Bussy's similar to that. So. Uh, but I, I mean, he had a great year, a great year. And, and you know, Swayman was a guy that uh, sort of when he came up in his first full year, had some rebound things and some yep. other things to work on for sure, too, that, you know, he went down to Providence for a stint and, and worked on those. And, you know, I, I, I certainly I think if they end up making a move and they bring up a guy like Bussy to potentially be the backup, there would absolutely have to be like a Keith Kincaid type in there somebody like that, that, you know, you, you would have in Providence that has experience yes. that if you did need to switch them out for a little bit, you know, if that player needed to work on things, you could, or if you want to go with that player to start the year as the backup, you know, while um, Bussy works on uh, rebound control or technique or whatever else uh, down there, he definitely could, but like, it's, you know, you always got to start dealing from surplus uh, when you're in salary yeah. cap, uh, jail That's and, right. uh, you know, the two areas they have surplus are defense and goaltending. So I, I would fully expect that they're going to explore that. Um, Georgie, Georgie Merkulov, uh, leading scorer in Providence last year, 24 goals, 55 points in 67 games as a 21-year-old kid. And, you know, a, a player that uh, this is the kind of player the Bruins are going to have to um, make their hay on the next few years, uh, these college uh, free agent types. Uh, because they're not going to have high draft picks. So they're going to have to crush it with these kind of players. Just what you saw out of him. 
well, he had a great year as well, um, like Bussy. Um, and it, I mean, he, uh, he's not a guy who was, you know, tearing up the ice with tremendous speed entering the zone, uh, you know, with great speed. He's more of a slow it down, gain entry to the zone and then sl slow it down, take a look and, and make a play from there. Uh, kind of crazy style in that regard. Yeah. Yes. Uh, not, you know, I, I hesitate to compare him to a guy like crazy because that's a, that's a big burden, but, uh, Obviously, but yeah. yeah, the slow it down part, definitely. That's him, you know, skilled, can really shoot it, uh, you know, shot it a lot more in the second half of the year. And the boy, he, he's got a, he's got a big time one timer, uh, on the power play. Um, but yeah, I, I can see him, he's another one that I think would be served, uh, well served by some time in Providence to start the year, maybe, uh, just to make, you know, just to button down the last few details that need to be taken care of. He came a long way in his defensive play over the course of the year. You know, he, uh, he, he I know. And that was a, that was a point of emphasis with the coaching staff that you, this is what you have to do. If you, if you're going to get up and uh, play in the NHL, the other thing about the kid that's uh, encouraging is um, he lives to play hockey. It's, it's, I don't think there was an optional skate all season long where he didn't show up and, yeah. and, and would always be out there late working on things. The kid is just all he wants to be is an NHL player. And, you know, I think he'll get there uh, whether it'll be, you know, this year in a full-time role. Yeah, it might, they might have no choice, uh, you know, depending on what else they do. But uh, I, I think he's uh I'm, I'm very high on him as a prospect. Yeah, th those kind of guys, the first to the rink, last to leave, always there, guys, especially if they have skill. That, yeah, you know, they they find a way, those guys yep. do, to, to get there. What uh, what was his best position? Uh, well, he played mostly center. He did. Uh, and they they used him on the, on the wing at times. That's a thing with uh, Ryan Mouginel, and I, I think organizationally. Yeah. Johnny Beecher spent time on the wing too. You have to learn. They emphasize this. You have to learn to play on the wall. If you're going to succeed in the NHL. Yep. The stat came out a couple of weeks ago that what is it? 80% of the time in the NHL, the puck is within three feet of the boards. Mm -hmm. So if you can't play in that, you know, in that uh, along those, uh, the walls, you're probably not going to be very successful. I don't see him as a wing in the, in the NHL. I just don't, he's not a physical guy. Uh, you know, he's not going to run people over. Uh, I still see him as a center. Um, you know, his playmaking and all of that, I think is, uh, is more effective in the middle than, than uh, coming at it from the, from the walls. And, and to your point, uh, if he's going to play center in the NHL, his details better be good. And he's going to yeah. have to away from the puck be, as good as he is with the puck. Um, I know this player uh, is the one everybody sort of asks about uh, down in Providence, Fabian Lysel. I remember you were a little critical of him going to the world juniors uh, with team Sweden. And, you know, after the experience, he probably wished he hadn't have gone. Uh, and, you know, I think he was, you know, obviously the eyes, the numbers weren't eye popping uh, at the HL level, but we're also talking about a 19 year old kid that's playing in a man's league uh, where it can be very difficult for kids that young. 
Um, so just what you thought of him in general and, and his development path. Well, I think I looked the numbers up. He scored six, eight goals in 20 games before he went to the World Juniors and six in 37 games once he came back. So there's the story. Um, yeah. Honestly, I expected more. I expected better numbers. I expected a bigger impact. Now, he, you know, he, he had, I think, 37 points. That's not a bad year for a 19-year-old in the American League. But when you look at the way he skates and, and the, you know, the dynamic flashes that you see, you know, I, I, I hoped for better than, uh, than the numbers he had. Um, and there were stretches where you just didn't notice them. Stretches of weekends, uh, you know, and then he would come back with a, with a terrific game. So is that a function of the fact that he's 19? that his season last year started in July with world juniors camp in Sweden. Right. And continued all the way through this. There's a lot. Uh, there's probably a lot of that in there, but at the same time, I would have liked to see him uh, do better this year. You know, at the end of the year in the playoffs, he, uh, you know, he got lit up on a, on a very dirty hit. Uh but he was trying at that point to cut into the middle of the ice into traffic. Can't do he it. did that. And I think in the first game of the season and he got, and he got blown up yep. and he got away from that as the season went on. And because you, you just can't do that. Uh, but there he was again in the, in the playoffs, trying that move and, and he paid the price. So that's uh that's maybe that's a minor thing. It's one, one particular incident, but um you know, I'm, I'm going to say that if the right deal came along for the Bruins and, and somebody said, yeah, we, we, we want to have Lysel in that trade, I would do it. I would. If do he's that. like the centerpiece of the deal or he's like the grade A prospect that gets something done. If you're going to get something back that really is going to be impactful. Yeah. I would, I would trade him. I would. Now I know the fan base, uh, you know, might be coming after me with uh, pitchforks and, uh, and torches, <laughs> but uh I would do that. It's not because I don't think he's a, he's a pretty good prospect. I think he is, but I, I think, uh, I don't know. I think he's a ways away yet. What was it? Uh, do you think it was the physicality uh, in some instances that uh, caused him to sort of like fade into the background? Was it just. It's probably um, some of that. He's not a, he's got to get man strength. That's what yeah. he, and I hope the concussion didn't, set him back in, in like his training when the season ended, uh, you know, September will be here before we know it. Is there enough time from, you know, June, July, August, is there enough time to get that strength that he needs? If he's laid up with a concussion for, for a few weeks, then, uh, that's, that sets him back, I think. Uh, so it'll be interesting to see what he looks like at the, the beginning of, of this season. Um, I know people, fans want to shoehorn him into the lineup. And uh, what I would say is be patient because he's not there yet. He's not there yet. Yeah. And it would be a, a, certainly a big mistake if a guy needs that much development at the HL level still, uh, if you're going to push him up uh, to the NHL. Um, a couple guys here that uh, have had some NHL time, um, Oscar Steen and Mark McLaughlin. Well, 
Oscar Steen, I, I think he's crossed the uh, the threshold from prospect to depth player at this yep. point. I think he, I believe he's on a one way contract. Uh, yep. So I'd expect to see him in Boston to start the season. Now, what are you going to get out of him? I, I think he's a, you know, he's a a, a bottom six guy. Uh, I don't think he's going to put up, you know, great numbers, but certainly a serviceable player at this point, a depth player that can help. Uh, you know, he plays an agitating, you know, in your face kind of style. Uh, yep. But he, I don't think he's going to put up any numbers, but he, he can be a useful player. So I think you'll see him in Boston. I could see Mark McLaughlin as the fourth line center uh, at the start of the year. I don't expect Nosek to be back. Uh, right. I could could be wrong, but uh, no, I, I think, think you're Mark... right about that one with Nosek for sure. <laughs> like he was a good think... player, but like the you yeah. know the, Don Sweeney's mo is to switch those guys out when their contracts are up. You know you don't keep those the bottom six, especially the fourth line guys. And what do you you know what do you you're developing prospects in Providence so that they can come in and, and fill a role at, at, with, uh, with a low cap hit. And, right. you know, Mark, I think Mark is capable of being a fourth line center in the, in the NHL, uh, you know, at the beginning of next year, I think that's a role he'll grow into. He'll get better as, uh, as he goes, you know, those of us who watched him in, uh, in college and, and a little bit, you know, at the end of the year in the previous year in Boston and in Providence this year, you, he, you can see what he can do, what he brings, you know, he's, he's always, uh, you know, he's another guy who never, never comes off the ice in, in Providence uh, practice uh, on practice days, but uh, he is what he is. He's not going to put up, you know, great numbers, but I think he can, he can be a serviceable fourth line player as soon as, uh, you know, October of this year. I agree. Uh, I mean, I, he played well enough in training camp last year to be yeah. a fourth line player on that Bruins team, the NHL club right out of camp. And, you know, he's solid year in Providence. I think he's definitely yeah, ready at this point. And, you know, I'm happy that you said it and I said it because our listenership and Bill Ricca just went up about, you know, a thousand percent after giving McLaughlin the some thumbs up for the NHL roster next year. Uh, I'll just love to see Bill Ricca people at the garden, uh, you know, cheering them on. Maybe they can get those giant heads. Like um, what was the kid from New Hampshire uh, that uh, played uh, in the fourth line a few years ago? And they used to bring the giant pictures. Tim Schaller. Tim Schaller. Tim Schaller. Thank you. They should do that with Mark McLaughlin, bring some giant McLaughlin heads. Yes. Uh, to, to up into the, the, uh, the garden uh, rafters, um, the balcony, uh, Johnny Beecher, you mentioned him a little bit ago. Um you know, I, I, I love the way he skates. I love the size. I think I love his attitude. You know, he may end up, I think being a bottom six guy as well at some point, like not exactly what you want out of a first round pick, but you know, what did you think of uh, his year in Providence? I thought he started slow and finished strong. If you would ask me in say December, what I thought I would have, uh, wouldn't have been uh, very complimentary, but I thought he got noticeably better in the second half of the season. Now he is what he is. Uh, you know, the guy with great wheels, uh, a big body. Um, and I think I, we saw him using that body more in the second half of the season, uh, engaging more. Uh, I remember talking with Jamie Langenbrunner last fall at the 
prospects challenge in Buffalo. And he was stressing that Beecher has to be engaged. He has to be engaged in the game or else he's not that effective. Yep. He was pretty, he was pretty well engaged in the second half of the year. Uh, he needs to, he needs to uh, keep, he needs to ramp that up even more. He even had a couple of fights in the second half. Uh, and that's not going to be his, uh, he's not going to be that guy. But right. if you're going to play a bottom six role in, in the NHL, especially if you're trying to fight for a job, you have to be willing to fight from time to time. Uh, you don't have to knock anybody out, but you need to be willing to do it. So that was an encouraging sign. Um, you know, there are times when he needs to use his speed, have confidence in his speed. There are times when you see him and you think, well, he's going to beat this guy wide and he pulls up. He needs to, to me, put the metal, put the pedal to the metal and take it to the net, beat the guy. Uh, you know, more of that is, is what I would like to see. And watching New Jersey, uh, I mentioned this, I think, on Twitter. I saw a guy in Mikey McLeod, who's, he was a, four, he was a first round pick. Yeah. Okay. He's their fourth line center. He's very effective in that role on a good team. That's a good team at this point. If Johnny Beecher could, you know, mold his game into a, into a Mikey McLeod type of uh, fourth line, third line presence, I think the Bruins would be, should be happy with that. Cause I don't think, I don't think Beecher's a guy who's going to put up numbers. Uh, how many times have we seen him at Michigan in on a breakaway and, and he doesn't finish. He's, he's just not that guy, uh, yep. but doesn't mean he can't, you know, be an effective player in, in a role in the bottom six. Now I think Simple. he needs more time in Providence uh, yeah. next year. Uh, and, but they may have to, uh, depending on what else they do, they may need to just plug him in and, and kind of throw him into the deep end and see if he can swim. Uh, yep. at this point so. similar to uh uh daniel paye uh in being a first round pick <coughs> and wheels and the hard-nosed way that he plays constantly put him in great scoring situations right and breakaways other things and but just the hands were not there to right. be able to finish off uh those plays and you, you know a big part of it is exactly what you're you're talking about where you got to know who you are as a player at that well, point and you know you're a straight line guy kind of guy that just needs to go as fast as you can in straight lines rather than, you know, thinking you're a, a Krejci, Jerzy Mokulov type that's going to like wheel around and pull it up and, you know, yeah. circle and drag somebody, you know, that's just not who he is. Right. Right. Um, this is an interesting guy, right? Um, Jacob Lauko uh, had some flashes definitely at the NHL level. Um, I know there were maybe times where it seemed like, you know, you heard whispers that he wasn't happy about being bounced back and forth between Boston and Providence. Um, you know, and it's, it, 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 it seemed odd at times, you know, some of the stuff that you would hear about him. Um, but to was, you know, to the point of that, like he played pretty well whenever he was up with the Bruins and certainly he shows the tenacity and some of the offensive upside to be able to be a, a fourth, even maybe a third line player. Uh, just what you thought of him in general. Well, I look at him now and I, I think he's an NHL player now yeah. at this point. I don't think if he finds himself demoted to Providence, uh, you know, at the beginning of next year or at any time next year, I don't know. I think that's on him. Um, yeah. 
he uh he's shown he can do it um he's just got to be more consistent and and the part about him not liking being on the the shuttle you know my uh my uh quick uh retort to that is play better right play better right make it so that they can't send you down or they don't want to send you down or they send somebody else down yep <coughs> excuse me consistency is what is what he needs in his game and you know that's he hasn't been consistent since day one in providence he has not been consistent he'd string together really good stretches and then disappear you wouldn't notice him uh and you know i think that happened in that's one of the reasons he was on the shuttle in boston is it follow up a good game or two with a game where you didn't notice him, where you didn't see him get in on the forecheck, where he wasn't, you know, skating around like uh, like his hair is on fire, uh, as they say. Uh, yeah. If he's not doing that, then w- what's he doing? So he's got to be that guy all the time. So I think it's up to him at this point how, uh, you know, whether he, uh, whether he grabs a, a job full-time or not, it, it's on him. Yeah. And, and and to his credit, he's put himself in that place, just given the flashes that he's shown at the NHL level and the price being right, you know, salary cap wise. I mean, it's part of the reason he was with the team to start last year at the, at the beginning of the NHL season. And and certainly I think it's why he's going to factor in uh, where they're going to need bargain basement players uh, on that bottom six. There's no doubt about it. A couple of guys, um, one came later on in the year and, and one, you know, obviously he's going to draw a lot of fanfare, but he's a, a local guy, uh, Mike Callahan and Shane Bauer. Uh, I think Mike Callahan was fine as a, a first year pro, but uh, he's, he's a ways away. Uh, yeah. And when, and he'll be, he'll be a bottom pairing guy. I would say that's, that's, I think that's how they see him. And yep. that's certainly how I see him. He made good progress uh, as a, as a first year pro played got plenty of ice time uh so i think he he had a positive season shane bowers i i don't think uh i don't think we'll if we see him in a boston uniform i'll be surprised i don't think uh here's another guy first round pick yeah uh, i believe wasn't he yeah he was no he's a first round pick uh no offensive game none really skate he can skate but uh, brings nothing to the table that I could see in terms of offense. I don't, I, I, he's a depth player. I don't think, uh, I don't think he, I don't think he'll be an NHL player at this point. And that's interesting. The fact that they were rising though. I mean, that's why another organization moves on from a first rounder, you know? Right. Right. So he's on what his third organization now. Yeah. Um, There's going to be a fourth and a fifth, I think (laughs) uh, at some point. (laughs) I hope he gets a few cups of coffee. God bless that kid. I hope he keeps working hard. Uh, and uh, finally, um, obviously he came at the end of the year. You got a couple of glimpses at him. Um, Mason Lowry, who I would expect given their defenseman situation uh, either sooner or later is going to be in Boston at some point next year, just because they need, you know, they need, they're going to need one of those defensemen just based on the moves I think they're going to have to make, but just what you saw him in the brief uh, time in Providence. Well, he, uh, he certainly passes the eye test as far as his size, his skating, uh, you know, his uh, willingness and eagerness to 
jump into the play and be a part of the offense. Uh, but I think, yeah, yeah, I could see him in Boston filling in for a few games next year, but I, I think he needs a year in, in the American league. Um, you know, coaches talk all the time now about playing fast. Uh, Mason needs to learn to play fast or at least at the, the speed level that the, the pro game is at. Yeah. Um, it was a little, he had good stretches in, in Providence, but there were other stretches where he, he struggled with the pace of the game and just, you know, the heaviness of the forecheck and the speed at which everything happens. Uh, but um, I mean, I think he's going to, I think he's going to play a long time in, in the NHL for Boston. Hope, you know, hopefully uh, as a, Certainly as a top four defenseman, once he gets his, his feet under him, I think he's certainly capable of that. But he's got a ways to go. Uh, you know, the good news is, uh, again, he's another kid who can't get enough hockey. Um, always, you know, even, you know, sometimes there were times, a couple times where he was a healthy scratch in Providence for one reason or another. And sometimes you see those guys spend 10 minutes on the ice for the optional skate and then they're out of there. Right. Yeah. Not this guy. He stays out there the whole time and he's out there afterwards skating and working on this and that puck handling. Uh, you know, he's, uh, he's another guy that's going to do what it takes to get there and be good. Um, and the attention he's getting from the, from the coaching staff, I, I think will help him get there. Um, there were a couple times at the end, near the end, where he would be in the, in the coach's office, uh, you know, after a, a, a long practice, and they would go over uh, every, every one of, and it, this made me wonder, like, how many times in a game does a defenseman touch the puck? Yeah. A lot. Yep. A lot. Yep. Well, they would be in there going over every one of his puck touches from the previous game. Every okay. single one. Wow. And, you know, okay, what'd you see here? What were you thinking here? Why did you do this? So it's that level of, uh, of coaching that he's, that he's going to get down in Providence uh, that's going to help him get to where he needs to be. So I'm, I, I, uh, I, th I think a lot of him uh, as a player, I think, I think he's going to be a good one for, for Boston. I don't think he's going to be, you know, Victor Hedman, but uh, I think he's going to be a top four D uh, certainly with a potential to, uh, to play in the league for quite a while. Well, that's good news all around, not only from Mason Lowry, who obviously has the skills, the size, the skating, the offensive ability, like, you know, all that, all the tools are in play. Uh, that's great to hear that that is along with it is attitude, but you know, you, you also need the, the, the coaching staff in Providence to have the due diligence to do that kind of stuff to help develop the players. And, you know, when they're working hand in hand like that, and I know Adam McQuaid yep. uh, had a big hand in, in everything that he'd done as well uh, from a player development perspective. And he took a lot of interest in him when he was at Ohio state. So like that part, I think of the Bruins organization, the player development, the, you know, bringing the players through the system has been, is proved to be excellent uh, just based on the, when you see the players um, that come up, uh, anybody that I didn't mention, uh, that you think was notable or, uh, maybe in play next year? Well, Luke Toporowski, I don't think he'll be in play, uh, next year, but uh, he's a prospect to, uh, to keep an eye on, uh, yep. 
you know, he was having a great season uh, when he went out with a, a knee injury in, I think, late January. So he was out for a couple of months with that. But when he recovered and came back, he, he pretty much picked up where he left off uh, as far as scoring. Now, he's an undersized kid, undrafted. You know, he's not six feet tall, I don't think. He's, he's not going in banging bodies, although he's not shy about getting in on the forecheck. But he can really rip the puck, and he's a, he's a gifted scorer, a gifted finisher. Uh, so I think he's – now they got to get his name on an NHL contract. He played this year on an American League contract. Uh, yeah. I expect they will sign him. I have every expectation that they will. Uh, but he'll have offers, multiple offers from other teams uh, to sign him because I think he's potentially uh, – a guy who, who will play in the NHL. Uh, and he's, a, like I said, a scoring winger uh, who can really fire the puck. And the fa- I'm amazed that he went undrafted. I see guys who, who are drafted, you know, in the later rounds that are just, you wonder, yeah. like, what were they? Not the, And I'm not talking about the Bruins. I'm talking about across the league. What the hell were they thinking when they drafted this guy, you yeah. know? And a, and a guy like Toporowski goes undrafted. It's, you know, I don't, uh, that's kind of baffling, but uh, I, I like Toporowski a lot. And I, I'm hoping for news that he's signed, uh, you know, before too long. I, I think after, Ju- I don't know, after July 1, I think his, his contract will be up. And I, I think he can, uh, he can go wherever he wants at that point. Uh, but I don't think it'll come to that. I think they'll get him signed. Yeah, it feels like the later rounds of the draft oftentimes become like doing favors for, you yeah. know, oh yeah, people you know, uh, you know, the, your second cousin, the, yep. the you know, your 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 other GM buddies, uh, you know, son or nephew or whatever. Like it seems like there's a lot a lot of that oh, in the yeah. last couple of rounds, and these other kids that are deserving, uh, you know, end up being non drafted. But like in in some ways, it's good for them because then they can choose where they go. Or they play, you know, they have a little bit more if they can get noticed and, you know, flash in a development camp, they can sort of uh, decide their route and, you know, pick a team where they might have the best chance of making it rather than be stuck with the team that drafted them. Well, and Toporowski, I, I think of uh, when he was injured, you know, I talked about guys who really want to, will do anything to, to make it. He's another one. When he, so when he was rehabbing his knee, at the same time, Vinny Letary was rehabbing the injury he had in in uh, in Boston. There, yeah, a shame for him. Oh yeah, uh, yep. They weren't cleared to skate yet, but they those two guys were going to some place in in Cumberland, Rhode Island. Somebody's got like a a shooting uh, pad or whatever you want to call it set up there, and they were going there like after in the afternoon and just ripping pucks all afternoon, <laughs> you know, it, 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 I mean, you see these guys on the ice shooting and shooting and shooting. It's obvious how this, how come they're so good at it? Yeah. You know, these guys must've been taking, I don't know, 300 shots a day, you know, working on their, just working on their slappers and wristers and, so Topper is one of those guys who I think is going to do whatever it takes. So that's uh, that's uh, a positive.
Uh, you can't bet on the Bruins anymore, obviously, on FanDuel. That's unfortunate. But uh, there's a lot of other teams you can go out there and throw some money on and, and have a good time and be a big winner. Uh, one of uh, the biggest winners I know, Mark Diver, thank you very much from New England Hockey Journal uh, for showing up today and then talking some hockey with us. Happy to do it, Joe. Look forward to seeing you on the 4th of July at Warrior. Absolutely. I will be there. And I hope to see a lot of you fans out there. The 4th of July Warrior 2 for Bruins Development Camp. That's it for Pucks with Ags this week. We'll see you at the rink.